Well, good morning, church. You know, very seldom do I travel and regret um, my wife not being able to come with me, except for this morning, because if she'd listened to you, this is what would have happened while I was sitting there. Her elbow would have mysteriously and magically been unable to control itself. It would have dug me in the side and says, did you hear all that? And yet you still can't put the dishes in the dishwasher, the toilet seat down, or replace the toilet roll. <laughs> Guys, trust me on this after 30... 30-something years of marriage, I'm 33, I think, 34, 34, 33, I have no idea, somewhere around there. I have learned the secret of a, of a good marriage, and it is that, just put the dishes in the dishwasher, and if she doesn't like the way it's stacked, you've at least done your job, it doesn't matter. I've discovered that using that as a cop-out doesn't cut it. I just have to put them in there, she's happy. I just have to replace the toilet roll, she's happy. I just have to keep the seat down, she's happy. And if she's happy, I'm happy. And if I'm happy, then God's happy. Because <laughs> there's one less thing he has to worry about. Hey, just before we get into it, the young woman who was leading worship this morning, yeah, I just want to encourage you. As you were leading this morning, I just felt the Lord say that, that you're an atmosphere changer. That if you can take what you've got inside and express here and express it wherever you go, you're going to change atmospheres. That you're going to go into places that, that you would never have dreamed would open up. And that you just your presence and the way you carry yourself and you overflow the things of God and your personality and your countenance is going to change atmospheres and open up for the Lord to be able to begin to do what He wants to do. I, I just see you going into places that you thought would never, that would be so resistant, people, family members, uh, friends that you never thought would open up, but your mere presence is going to change an atmosphere and allow the Spirit of God to move in their life. But So I want to encourage you, take what you express and overflow here wherever you go. Don't hide your light under a bushel because you know still waters run deep. And the Bible says that we draw from the well of salvation with joy, and, and you are drawing such joy. And if you overflow wherever you go, you're going to make a huge difference. Yeah. Well, I don't know what your, um, what your traditions are here, but um, if you've got a phone, I want you to take it out. How often do you get invited to take your phone out in church? I'm always looking at our, at our teens in church and thinking, really? And I've learned to suspend my judgment because apparently some of them are following because we put all our notes on Bible events thing, but I have a sneaking suspicion that most of them aren't because when I see their status updates on social media, I'm sitting there thinking, I was speaking at that time. <laughs> but if you get your phone out and um, go to slido.com, it's a, it's a app that we use every week at our church, what happens is every week we, uh, we, we take questions and so we answer them in the evening because we get too many to do it after the sermon because we believe that, that we learn together best, um, that it's not about a sage on the stage, it's about uh, learning together and answering questions and engaging together. So, uh, so we do this every, day, every Sunday, but if you go to slido.com and put in the, the, the password LP21, it's going to bring you to a poll and I'd just like you to take a moment and it's, the question is, how satisfied are you with life? How satisfied are you with life? Very somewhat, could be better, or I need a new one. Now, guys, how satisfied are you with life, not wife? 
So just quickly do that while you can. It'll come up. So there's five people who have answered it already, seven, nine, 12. You guys are going well. Let me log out and log into the admin site and I can get the results. You guys are very cooperative. I, you, when, I do this at, when I do this at church, sometimes they're not so cooperative. See results. Here we go. Wow, you guys are doing well. So far, 40% of you are very satisfied, 28 somewhat, 32 could be better, and no one wants a new one. That is so good. Just as you quickly, just if you any more want to do that, just so you get a, a feel for who I am, um, you, what you need to know, the essentials about me is that I came to faith, uh, I, I came to faith, met my wife, and was called to ministry all in the same 30 seconds. Uh, I was 20, just coming up to 23 years old. Uh, I was 22 years old at the time, almost 23. What had happened was I'd had an industrial accident about uh, three years before, and I'd broken my back and had never healed. And, and so long story short, I wound up in hospital, and it was a private hospital. Let me tell you how bad our health system is in the private sector. Everyone tells you how bad the public sector is. However long it was in the private sector, they kicked me out of a brand new hospital the day before they officially opened it. Like, how mean is that? I've been there for two weeks, one of their test patients, and then they kicked me out so I couldn't be part of the celebrations. What had happened was I, I, the, my back didn't fix, and, and so they... they, they um, they said they would need to do this operation, and and I'd been I'd done well in life, so to speak, uh, financially. I'd just managed to uh, just through good luck, really. I guess would be the best way of putting it. And I'd made a goal to retire by the time I was thirty. Um, so I was I was on track to do that. Um, you know Palmerston, so so this is back in '87. I had a freehold house in Kentucky Way down at um, down by the racecourse there. Um, we had an indoor pool and all that sort of stuff. And I was living with my girlfriend, and I'd realised that the very goals that I thought were important to me, that as I was reaching them, gave me nothing. And I realised the relationship I was in was. It wasn't going anywhere that it needed to go. Uh, this was not me. And I called the taxi. The taxi took me off to, to my hospital appointment. I was going. I had to check in at 6 o'clock in the morning. And as I walked out the door, for reasons uh, unknown to me at the time, I, I grabbed a, a Good News Bible. Never picked the Bible up before in my life. Um, and I took it. And I had the operation. I was uh, on, on a lot of morphine. They were changing. They, in, in those days, I don't know how they do it now, um, when... They used to pour hydrochloric acid into the into the wound, and so they could pack it, so it didn't heal um, with a uh, over and get infection. And so they'd pack it with these. Uh, I used to have five meters of uh, one inch wide gauze bandage packed into this wound, where they'd um, uh, fuse the vertebrae and uh, take another one out. And and so I couldn't really sleep. And so that night I read the New Testament, and it was seven. Four, uh, it was six forty seven in the morning, and I closed the cover and I just thought Jesus. I don't know how this thing works, but either this is just a good story and I can live my life my, the way I want, or I've got to make some big changes because everything I thought that was important isn't, and it's not delivering. So if you can, if you can take me, here I am. And in that moment, um, I gave my heart to the Lord. I didn't know you were supposed to pray a prayer, so I'm probably not saved, because um, I never did. Um, I felt God called me to ministry, and... Uh, so I thought, 
not growing up in the church, I didn't know what that meant. And my only picture of, of, um, of church life was from TV. Like, um, it, it wasn't flattering. It was all of the Church of England and everything else. And so uh, I thought, wow, okay, Lord, I'll be a missionary. And at the same time, this woman walks into my, into my room and pulls the curtains. And her back's to me, and as she's reaching for the curtains, there's a countenance about her that I'd never seen over anybody else. And it was just like, it was just incredible. And she turned around, and I said, um, are you a Christian? And at the same moment, I knew that I was going to marry her. And uh, 18 months later, we were married, or less than that, in fact. Um, so that was, that was my, my conversion experience and everything else. It's, uh, it was just a, a sovereign thing of God. Um, and just so you know that my parents had come to faith before me, and, um, and they, they were attending the Anglican Church in, in Palmerston North, so I rang them. I rang my father and said, Dad, you better get your minister to come and talk to me because I've just become a Christian and I feel I'm, I've got to um, serve God in ministry. And... Um, Lo and behold, I wound up in the Anglican Church for a number of years. I tell people that um, if my parents had been Baptist, I still would have been Anglican. <laughs> the only thing I would never have been, and I don't think they'd have me, is, uh, is Presbyterian. If you're from the Presbyterian Church, God bless you. You're the original charismatics. If you read your history and the, Scot- and the Scottish covenanters and, and things like Scots Worthy, these incredible testimonies of these Scottish Presbyterian and, and like I'm Scottish heritage, like I'm Scottish through and through. Um, so I can say this. And there is, you, we think of the Scots and the Presbyterians as being dry as anything. They were the original charismatic Pentecostals. They were being persecuted by the Church of England and they were being burnt and they were being tortured and they were being pursued by by by, by Catholic armies, and they would call and say, God, send down a cloud, and mist would descend and hide them, and they would be meters away from an army going past looking for them, and God would do miracle after miracle. So I don't know what happened to them, but they, we should pray that they get their faith again. But uh, the reason I'm not, a, I could never be a, a Presbyterian is that I don't know if you've traveled much, but right down the bottom of the South Island, there's a place called Hokanui, which is just inland from uh, Winton, and that's where I was born. And, and as a kid growing up, I was fascinated at one certain time of year, they would have these incredible burn-offs, all the stubble from the, from the crops that they'd grown. And the light, the sky would just light up with these beautiful... Well, I'm colorblind, so I'm going to imagine the oranges and reds and yellows and, and everything else. I just thought it looked magic. So because it was a rural place, they would only use the Presbyterian church quarterly. And so, of course, grass grows, so they're coming up for their summer service, so they cut it down. And they let it dry. And so I found a box of matches and thought, maybe I should have my own burn off. And I did. And they've got a new church, and I was never going to be a Presbyterian. <laughs> Anyway, we've got the results here. Thankfully, Dean, most of your people are very satisfied with life, and no one needs a new one. Uh, the, reason I, the reason I do that is ask you to do that simply as a bit of fun is that the life you have is a reflection of the thoughts that you have. Your thought life uh, generates the life that you have. And, and, and I say that because the problem that so many of us have in life is not a lack of resources. It's not that God hasn't come through. It's not that God is not responding to your prayer. What happens so often is the problem is the way that we think, the way that we see things. You see, if your thoughts are wrong, your life is wrong. If you think that God is not going to answer, you are looking for confirmation of that. So when you pray, you're not expecting God to answer, and He doesn't because you're not looking for it. If you, think that, if you think that you don't have enough resources to do what you really want to do in life, 
then you're always going to be uh, opting out and you're never going to push and you're never going to break barriers and you're never going to step out of your comfort zone because you've told yourself, I don't have what I need. And we're building with this confirmation bias that, that when we have a view of something, that's how we look at life and that's how we interpret everything. And the reason I say that is simply this, to make the most of the life that Jesus has for us, some of us need to change the way we think about God and about life and about ourselves so that we begin seeing God and life and ourselves from his perspective and not from our perspective. We start seeing life and opportunity and the days in which we live from his viewpoint, not ours, because at the moment, in case you haven't noticed, the world is incredibly broken. We are divided like we've never been divided by four, before, politically, morally, ideologically. It just seems that, that, that we've been divided in, in incredible ways and there's no longer the middle ground that most of us used to live on. You're either left or right, and, and it makes it incredibly difficult. And what happens is that unless we begin to see life from God's perspective, we're going to live life in response to circumstance, and we're going to see our lack, and we're going to see what we feel God isn't doing, and we're going to miss so much opportunity because God has called us to much more than we've got, we're living in, this, in these days. You see, I don't know how you see your life, but let me tell you how God sees your life. You are his answer to someone's need. You know, we, our, our motto at ALC is that we, we believe we're called to be a community of hope for our city and beyond, and everybody's a hope carrier. You know, every Sunday we take up an offering and we tell people to give two ways. One is financially, the other is hope. Live hope wherever you go. Overflow hope wherever you go because the world needs hope. That's what the Great Commission is about, bringing hope to bear in people's darkness, bringing hope to bear in people's brokenness. But you see, because we haven't changed our mindset, we, we miss opportunity because we're so overwhelmed by what is happening around us. And yet we shouldn't be, because in John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I've told you these things. What things? Oh, that you're going to be persecuted, that people aren't going to like you, that people are going to reject you, that it's going to be hard, that life won't be easy. Just some minor things. So that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now notice the contrast between in me, in Christ, look at what you have, versus in the world, look at what you get. You see, in Christ... We have peace. And it's out of that peace that we begin to see the world and see opportunity that, from God's perspective. But in the world, we have trouble. And when we don't change our mindset, that's what we focus on. And we focus on what is wrong instead of the opportunity that it creates to bring the gospel to bear. We've been called, we haven't been called to build church, guys. We've been called to the Great Commission. Jesus says, I'll build my church. And quite frankly, I think he does a better job of it than you and I could, ever could. You know, we, we build church with, we, we just think, well, if we get the lights, if we get the band, if we get the environment, and, and you guys have an incredible environment. I come in here this morning and I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, how often do I have to repent of breaking the 10th commandment? Because I, I, I covet your place compared to our place. But you see, you can't, that's, Jesus says, I'll build my church if you will invest your life in the great commandment. And when we change the way we think, we begin to see that maybe he's serious about that. And maybe I do have what it takes to be part of that. Maybe, maybe I, I am capable of being used by God in incredible ways. You see, when we change the way we think about God, about ourselves, and about life, what we do is we stop seeing the lack and we start seeing the opportunity. 
You know, someone wants to find peace as the possession of adequate resources. The, the possession of adequate resources. In Jesus Christ, we have all of the resources we need. Jesus says, in me you have peace. Peace is the possession of adequate resources. We have everything we need. We have provision. We have life. We have security. We have hope. But here's the thing. Spiritual resources depend on a spiritual relationship. You can't access the things of God unless you have a relationship with God. In ourselves, we have nothing. But in Christ, we have all that we need. And the reason I'm saying this is to make sense of these crazy times in which we live. To be able to seize the opportunity that has been set before you and I. To be hope carriers in a world that is desperate for hope. To be able to speak beyond what is to what can be. To live a life that is not conditioned by circumstance, but responds out of grace and out of mercy and to bring God's kingdom to bear. We need to stop living out of ourselves and start living out of Christ. Because when we live out of ourselves, I don't know about your life, but here's what my life looks like. It begins to go on this downward spiral of anxiety, of frustration, of despair. But the more I begin to live out of faith, the more full I become with the things of God, and I begin to experience that, that, that passion and that, that, that zeal that we read about in the New Testament, and I begin to have that peace which Jesus says you only have inside of him. Let me ask you a question. Think back to pre-COVID. Think back to, say, February, even January last year. How many of you had dreams and aspirations about life, about family, about church, about ministry, about God's kingdom coming to bear, about doing something great for God, about making a difference even in your family's life, or, or maybe you had a dream about a career change that would open up opportunity. How many of you had dreams only COVID killed them? One of the things you need to know is that the Hebrew word for dream literally means to restore to health. The Hebrew word for dream means literally to restore to health. That's why we, we read in Psalm 126 verse 1, um, when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. In other words, when God brought back the, the exiles back to Jerusalem where the temple is, everything that represented the presence of God here on earth, everything that represented the covenant, when he brought them back, hope was restored. Health was restored. It's like a dream. I say that because... I think we need to dream again. I think in these days in which we find ourselves, we need to start dreaming again. We need to start dreaming out of who God is and who he's called us to be and what life could be like as a consequence. We've got to start living beyond today and start living for tomorrow. That if Jesus should not return in our lifetime, and my gosh, I hope he does. I've got grandkids and I, I despair thinking of the world that they might inherit. And when I look at the way that it's going, I think the only hope is the gospel or Jesus returning. And quite frankly, I'm not so convinced that we, the church, are doing a, a, a great job at the moment. And I say that because if we start to dream and start to live out of the fullness of the gospel and everything that Jesus said that he had for us, then our health is restored and we can become the hope carriers that we need to be. That we can be all that God calls us to be. You see, I think that all of you could change an atmosphere. 
just by living out of the fullness of who God says you are. I think all of you can make a difference just by living out of the gospel and surrendering everything that you have for the pursuit of his kingdom coming to bear. So I told you in the introduction a little bit about my, 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 how I came to faith. One of the things you need to know about that, about that, which I didn't say, which is key, is this. Some seven years before, I and the, um, I, I and the law had a little disagreement about what was acceptable and what wasn't. Apparently, you can't get into a gang fight with a, with a firearm um, without consequences. Um, and, and, and my life took a, took a turn for the worse at that point, and I, I ended up being arrested. I, what happened was um, some friends of mine I used to hang out with, they were older than me, um, I'd sneak out home, we'd go to the parties, we'd go to the, the pub, and uh, long story short, I, they dropped me off that night, and I didn't go back out with them. I heard a car crash, thought nothing of it until the morning when I got a ring from my friend's mother saying, have you seen Tony? And I said no, and then... Um, about an hour later, I got a phone call and, and a drunk driver, second time um, drunk, causing death, went through a stop sign, killed them all, and he was part of a, a local gang, and they live around the corner from us, and I was so enraged that I got a friend of mine, and I used to be in our, our, our school um, gun club, I was a marksman, I represented as a schoolboy in New Zealand, I was a pretty good shot, um, grabbed, grabbed my shotgun, and uh, I went round to their place, and yeah, thankfully God intervened, and um, there was no death. But what happened is this, that in the course of that, my parents learning to deal with it, my, my parents came to faith and they entered into a church, they got involved in a connect group, a, a life group, call it what you want, and the leader said to my father, I will make a commitment to pray for your son every day until he comes to faith. Seven years later to the day, wow. I woke up in hospital and gave my heart to the Lord. Wow. Now I tell you that because it might be that your part to play in the bringing of God's kingdom to bear is to pray. You know, I'm not going to claim anything particular for myself, but I know that I've had the privilege of, of touching many people's lives and being used in, in many different things, and including you know, bringing God's kingdom to bear overseas. And, and, and I really, I, I'm really grateful to God for those privileges, but I'm more grateful for the person who prayed for seven years until I bowed the knee before Jesus. Because without that prayer for seven years, maybe my heart would never have come to the point of being open to what the Holy Spirit wanted to say. But you see, that guy wasn't living for himself. He was living for God. For seven years, he made a commitment. Imagine what you could all do. Imagine our city. Imagine our nation. If you made a commitment to pray every day for someone to come to faith. So I just want to challenge you to change the way you think, to start to dream. You see, it's not who you think you are that holds you back. It's who you think you're not. It's not who you think you are that holds you back. It's who you think you're not. I'm not capable of that. God wouldn't hear my prayer. Why not? If God could listen to the prayers of a bag of bones like this, he can listen to yours. It's not who you think you are. It's, you've got this picture and you've got to change the way you see yourself and change the way you see God. And, and when that changes, you begin to change the way you see life. And when you do that, things begin to change. And opportunities open up. You see, nobody has yet walked in September 2021. Nobody has yet walked in February 2022. 
So who's to say what can and can't happen? Who's to say what you can and can't do? Who's to say what you're capable of and what you're not capable of next month, next year? Who's to say your dreams can't be breathed on by the Spirit of God and come alive and and be a catalyst for something significant taking place in, in this city? Who's to say that God can't use you to make a difference and bring his kingdom to bear in incredible ways? You see, it means that you have no excuse not to, not to dream. It means you have no excuse not to step out because nobody's been there before. You don't have to listen to the lies of the enemy that's told you, you can't, you're not, what if? Because nobody's been there. Nobody's got anything to measure it against. How would you know if you failed? You're not because there's no benchmark because no one's been there. So what have you got to lose? And stepping out with the gospel of Jesus Christ changing people's lives, being a hope carrier, living out of the fullness of the gospel rather than yourself. You're not constrained, you're not defined by anything in the future because it hasn't been written except in God and he's got a plan for you. Let me show you what his plan for you is. In Luke chapter nine, we read the story that is familiar to us all and we're we, we, he gets the disciples and, and it, he's feeding a crowd says, when the apostles returned, that you remember they'd been sent out to cast out demons and to heal the sick. They told Jesus everything they'd done. And then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going and followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God. This is a sidebar. No, just note what happened there. They've had a busy season of ministry. And they slip away. Why? The inference, in fact, Mark tells us in his account, to get some rest. And then the crowd follows. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, hey, can you come back? Guys, we, look, the service starts tomorrow. He, he gives them what they need. God is never too busy for you. You are never too ex- insignificant. God will always make you a priority. So start dreaming. Start imagining what God could do through you because he will respond. So he welcomes them, teaches them about the kingdom of God, and he heals those who are sick. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodgings for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. The people are overwhelming. Resources are few. What do the disciples do? What you and I would do. Jesus, it's your problem. You you sort it. I don't know about you, but I can see myself in that picture so easily. There's so many times when I've seen a need and I've been aware of situations and I've just felt like, God, would you? And all the time getting this uncomfortable feeling that maybe he wants me to. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He doesn't let them off the hook as he doesn't let you and I off the hook. He says, you feed them. And they do what you and I would do. But we don't have anything. If you read Mark's account, remember how they were sent out without food, without money. So that's that's a legitimate question, but we don't have any. How many times has God said to you, have you felt a prompting? Have you woken up after a dream? Have you heard a message? Have you been reading the scriptures? Have you been praying and you felt God say something? I want you to do that. And your first response is, but. And you've legitimately excused yourself because you don't have what you think you need. And, Jesus, and they say to Jesus, <laughs> Jesus says, you feed them. They say, we've only got five loaves of bread and two fish. Or are you expecting us to go and buy food 
enough for this whole crowd, for there were about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Do you notice what happened there? A place of desolation became a place of abundance. A place with nothing, where there was lack, became a place where there was more than enough. Five fish sandwiches becomes more than enough, becomes a banquet. You see, the story started with not enough. The story starts with a a group of people like you and I, disciples, followers of Jesus, no questioning their loyalty, no questioning their commitment to the cause, but with a mindset that hasn't yet been changed, without a dream that is restoring health. And so they look through lack, they look through the eyes of the world rather than out of what they have in Christ. And the story that starts with not enough ends up being about more than enough. And I say that because you are the loaf of bread in Jesus' hands. You are like a loaf of bread in Jesus' hands. And your struggle is my struggle. That we like the idea of being in Jesus' hands. And we like the idea of him using us for great, for great results for his namesake. We like the idea of him being, taking us and making a difference in someone else's lives. Until we step back and remind ourselves, actually, he broke that bread in order to multiply it. He broke those loaves. You see, we're a loaves of bread in Jesus' hands, and he wants to bless us and multiply his kingdom through us. But for that to happen, we've got to be broken. Some things need to change in your life and mine. Our perspective, our attitude. There's no questioning your, your commitment. I don't doubt that for a moment. I don't doubt that if we were to stand at the door afterwards and I was to shake hands with each of you and say, is it in your heart to reach out to someone this week? You would say yes, without a hesitation. I don't doubt that. But when it comes to actually living out of that, you and I then start to wrestle. But we don't have, what about? I'm so busy. And what needs to change is we need to be broken so that it's no longer about living out of ourselves and our resources and what we think we need, but living out of the abundance of the, of the resources that come from a relationship with Jesus, those spiritual resources that we have. Jesus said that he would provide us what we need. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm just a simple person. I believe that Jesus meant every word that he said. So when Jesus made a covenant to say that he would meet my needs, he's going to meet them. They may not always look like the way I would want to meet them. There's times when he's asked me to eat stuff that I wouldn't normally choose to eat, but I've never gone hungry. Yeah. I've slept in places that I wouldn't normally have slept in, but I've had a roof over my head. And when he says he will meet my needs, he means it. 
And when he says he'll meet your needs, he means it. But for us to get to that point, we have to be broken. Our attitude, our our understanding has to change so that we break the patterns of the world that have shaped the way that we, we think. Because what's happened for most of us is that we haven't allowed Jesus to change the way we look at the world. We've let the world change the way that we read Scripture and the way that we look at the Great Commission and the way that we see opportunity. And in Jesus' hands, he said, I want to break you so that I can multiply my kingdom through you because I've called you to make a difference in this world. You know, most of us quote, and if you've if you're been around church for a while, you know Romans 12.1, like, like it just rolls off your tongue there about presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. Well, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, that's a picture that comes from the Old Testament, from temple worship. In the Old Testament, when you wanted to make a sacrifice, it didn't become God's, it didn't become holy until it was on the altar. You could take your little lamb and you could just walk in the, in the middle of the night so that people didn't see you because every time they saw you walking towards the temple with a little lamb or something, everyone's looking, oh, I wonder what they did. Oh, we, they bring out their, but oh, look, a lamb, that means they must have done this, 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 or this. There's no hiding sin. But you take it and you go to the temple and you, 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 you say to the priest, well, look, this is what I've done. Here's my sacrifice. You give him the lamb. He takes the lamb. He, he does his thing with it. It's still your lamb. It's not God's. Nothing's happened until it's placed on the altar. So when Paul says a living sacrifice, he's saying, if you really want to experience the fullness of life and serve the purposes of God, you've got to get up onto God's altar and truly die to self. Because until you do, you're not really God's. Until there, until there is nothing left of you, you're not fully God's. That's what discipleship's about. It's a process. I can't tell you how many times I've got up on the altar and then sort of thought, oh, just a moment. I just need to, I, I really want to watch this program. And get back up. Oh God, that was a dumb call from that referee. Just a moment. And I'll just get off the altar. Or else, my wife, we're having these, we can have, we, we, my wife and I never argue, we just have intense times of fellowship. <laughs> and we can be having this intense time of fellowship, and I'm sitting there thinking, but you're so wrong. And then I've got to get off the altar, because if I'm on the altar, then I've got to acknowledge that I've got to love her like Jesus loves me, and, and there's, apparently there's been times I've been wrong. It's a lifelong process, but here's the thing, church. For us to be used of God to bring about his purposes, we have to continually get up on the altar and die to self. That's what it means about being broken. But when we do, when we do, God will multiply your life like a fish sandwich. What wasn't enough will be in abundance. It will be a banquet as you bring his kingdom to bear. And the songs we sung like this morning will bring revival will not be speaking of the future. They will be celebrating the present. They will not be anticipating what will be. They will be declarations of what is. They will not be wishful thinking. They will not be sung prayers. They will be celebrations, expressions of the heart that are overflowing with gratitude to God for what you are experiencing in your home, in, your, in, your, in the marketplace, wherever, because you've allowed God to break you 
to change your thinking so that you see the opportunity that is before you. And so as I finish, I'm going to pose the question I, I pose our church every Sunday when, when we come to the end is, what's one thing that you might do this week to begin coming into that place that you need to be so that you're not just a hearer of the word but a doer of the word? What's one thing that you might, maybe it's an attitude. Maybe you need to change an attitude to, to God. Maybe there's a, pr- a prayer that hasn't been answered yet. And I've got to tell you, God's, God's, God's going to answer, but just not in your timing or, his, or your ways necessarily. But you've let that, what you've seen as a, as a no, as a delay, change or influence the way you see God. Maybe there's a disappointment that's shaping the way that you, you follow. And you say, I'm, I'm prepared to go so far, but no more because... Maybe you look at people, maybe you look at life, and, and your step is to begin to say, Lord, would you help me change? Because as you, he helps you change, you will change. Because God's word does not return to him empty. And he will bring it about. So that you come to that point where you can get back up on the altar and live out of the abundance of his provision. Because trust me, I think we're entering in as a church to our finest hour. You know, you can have, if you've been a student of church history, there's been some incredible opportunities and some incredible things that God has done. But I think that the times that we live in bear a closeness to the times of Jesus and the early church that history's not had since those days. And the things that we read about in Acts, the things that we read about in the early church, I think God is wanting to release in these days. So should Jesus not return in our lifetime, let it be said of the church that because they rose up and because they let themselves be broken and Jesus multiply them, that the world was forever changed and the direction that it was going down was changed and diverted and things that were going to happen didn't that lives that were going to be terminated weren't, that decisions that were going to be made to continue to impoverish people were changed, to punish people for lack were changed, and the world becomes a little bit more like God had always intended it to be. But it starts with a change in your heart and your attitude as it requires a change in my heart and my attitude. Can I ask you to stand as I, as I pray? Father, I just want to thank you for your grace at work in our lives. Father, I just want to thank you that you've called each of us out of darkness into light. That, Father, you have called us to your own. And and, and even though we, we celebrate that, Lord, in our hearts we know and we acknowledge before you how we struggle with that at times. How frustrating we must be to you at times when we don't get it. When we're slow of hearing. When we choose to ignore you. When we choose not to obey you. And your, your grace never lets up. So Holy Spirit, would you come and, and just move in our hearts and, and just convict us and, and do what you need to do to release us, to begin that you might begin to change us. Lord, today we, we update that decision we made whenever when we said yes to you. And we surrender again 
those parts of our lives that we've been holding on to, that you might work your miracle. You might begin to, to break what needs to be broken in order to bless and to multiply that which you've given to us for the good of others and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.